You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello. And today's guest I'm super excited about because I've been talking to her for weeks and she is the shit. Her name is Jill McCabe. She's a best-selling author, teacher, and coach in the fields of expertise-based business startups, finding fulfillment, and the science of high performance and change. Her Amazon best-selling book, It's Go Time, offers a step-by-step system for building expertise-based businesses efficiently. And Jill is the founder of BoomU, a coaching and training company that helps professionals, academics, and creatives scale their income doing work they love. And let me tell you, I am in her program. I'm starting it in a few weeks. I've already done some of the preliminary work, and she's going to bring me to the next level. I know it. She delivers. So thank you so much for being on. Wow. What an amazing introduction. Um, no, Gabby, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I, I love talking to you. I could just talk to you all day long. So yeah, same. When we first talked, I was like, oh my God, I've been dreaming to meet someone just like Jill. Like I needed you as like an older sister or like a mentor years ago. Like the friendship is mutual. Yay. But. So I know your story because we talked for like two hours, but can you give the listeners kind of a background of like what you went to school for, what you were doing in your past and how that's led you to now be not only a business owner, but an author, a teacher, a coach, and all those amazing things? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm someone who spent a lifetime trying to figure out what I should do. My story is publicly, you know, a lot of people know my story starting with a car accident when I was 40. But the truth is my quest, I think about corporate quitter and and who's here and who's listening. And I think what is more meaningful is that my quest didn't start when I was 40 and I got hit by a car. My quest actually started when I was like, I don't know, eight. And I was dyslexic and I was terrible at school. And I was crummy at it actually. And I had really high performing siblings and they did really well. Like one was amazing at sports. One was an academic. One was like artist. And I was like, I got, you know, C's and D's and everyone would go like, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh my God. But what was meaningful about that, because it's like my story really did start there because my mother used to say to me, sort of worried about my self-opinion, which was pretty low. Don't worry, Jill. Some people are good at school and others are good at life. And the problem is really that sort of the quest sort of began there. I was like, what the heck is that? (laughs) Good at life. So like, you know, I think a lot of people, I sort of was in my 20s going like, I'm supposed to be good at life. I don't feel very good at life. What the heck am I supposed to do? So dropped out of high school because I was not good at it. I was dyslexic. Then I went to the arts. I was like an actor for a while. Then I did actually all right. And I got on this like TV production and then I saw myself on TV and I sucked. So I was like, oh my God, I can't do that to the other actors. (laughs) They, They deserve better. So I was like, no. So then I did stage direction on theater and I was good at that, but I hated the hours. So I thought, oh, okay. I know what to do. I'll become a chef. That was like another passion. So I was like literally all over the place trying to figure out what I should do. So I was like, I I was like, okay, great. I'll be a chef. And then, and then my brother, he copies me and he decides to become a chef. It turns out he's a world-class chef. So I'm like, okay. So then I step aside on the chefing. That's actually where I had my first success. And we had this like internationally acclaimed restaurant. So I was like, I am a brilliant businesswoman, right? I was like, I was pretty impressed with myself. And that was exciting for me because I had been bad at so many things. Okay, so, so to keep this in perspective, I like, I suck at acting. This is too hard. My brother's better at that. So I finally find this thing I'm good at. And uh, so then we open another business and it's a total flop. Oh, really? 
yeah, we opened a food shop because we're turning away like 300 guests a night. And so we're thinking, oh, you know, we think we're so smart. We're going to create food. We're going to da-da-da. People can take it home. Aren't we brilliant? And it flopped. It did not do well. It took us like eight or nine months just to break even. It took like so much of our time. We were exhausted. And that's when I had like a wake-up call, like, gee, I'm not even as good as business as I thought. I was just an accidental success in business. I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And that actually, that's where my quest actually got ignited. Yes, the car accident sort of reignited it. It was almost like I had this car accident when I was 40 that really made me question life. But it was actually after that food shop flop that I really went, how do you predictably create success in business? And that's sort of when I sold the restaurant and started studying that. Like I wanted to understand how to create predictable success in business. Yeah, no, I love that. I think for a lot of people, they're going to find relief in the fact that you also were all over the place and did so many different things. And yet you still found your way and found success. And even now, probably things are changing and you're developing new services and products and things like that, right? You wrote your book. There's not one size fits all and nothing is linear. So I I think you sharing that is really helpful. Yeah, I was hoping because I think especially when people are younger, there's this sense like they should know. And really what I ended up learning because I I have learned how to shorten the curve and help people figure out what they should do. There is in fact methodologies for that. And goodness, wouldn't it be nice if they taught them in school, but- (laughs) (laughs) It'd be too easy. They don't, but there is in fact ways of doing it that are very data oriented. I ended up going back to school, doing a master's in leadership and I got accepted based on my career accomplishments. So that was cool. I ended up learning that there's actually, there is a proven path for figuring out what, that's what you're going to be doing in the rest of the program with us. So you're, you're going to be going through that methodology with us. (laughs) I'm very excited about it. Let me tell you. But I didn't know that for the longest time. And so even though you commented, like you're still doing new things, like writing the book or you're doing whatever, the difference for me, there was a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I call it get on the right track and then go faster on that track is what I've really started to learn because we can get on the wrong track. And then we realize we're like way down. And someone once said to me, you know, no matter how long you've been on the wrong road, Once you realize it's the wrong road, you need to turn back. And that was sort of me with the restaurant. I loved it. I was successful. I enjoyed a lot of things about it, but it wasn't my right road. So I didn't just want to make a bigger restaurant. I didn't just want more of that because I was like, well, I don't want more of that. But the road I'm on now, I think partially when you find that thing you want to do, it's not that just like this one thing, like you said, there's different projects, but it's like, I know who I want to help. I know who I love helping. I know what I'm good at. I know what I find rewarding. And so then I just want to do more of that and get creative in that arena, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I do love how you framed it as like, right, you can just turn around if it's the wrong path or the wrong track, if you will, if you're taking the train analogy, because We can very much get derailed or crippled when we realize, oh my God, I've been in this job for X amount of years and I'm not happy. I'm not paid well. Like for people who are working in corporate and they now want to do the pivot of turning around and trying something new, like it's a terrifying moment of like, oh my God, I have to start over. Yep. You know, I have never met anyone for whom 
they didn't eventually look back on that. I mean, I think there are, that's not true. I have met some people who look back and they're like, that was the worst thing that ever happened. But I think, I think more people who are sort of looking to grow will always find a way to turn something like that into the best thing that ever happened. Like you can manufacture that. You can actually, you can say, you know what, I'm just going to make this the best thing that ever happened by going after a dream or doing something else and growing in a new direction. Yeah. It just, yeah, it definitely depends on the person because some people just want to wallow in their shit versus actually like changing it and changing their perspective and like glass half full, half empty type of mentality. Okay, you quit the food industry and now you're pursuing, you know, business and all of that. Why did you want to help entrepreneurs? Like why specifically this as opposed to like so many different avenues you could do in business based on your own experience of like running a business like and like doing all that stuff? Yeah, and specifically why uh, right now I help solo entrepreneurs, like people who are really just starting out with their expertise. And why is because I think probably a couple of reasons that have come together, but my parents were entrepreneurs. They had a school. And when we were growing up, there were times where we had lots of money and everything was like, woo, we had this big fancy home and everyone thought we were rich because we had this big fancy home. But then there were times where we didn't have any money and we didn't actually have enough to eat. So we had this big fancy home in a fancy neighborhood and no food. And so people were like, you're rich. And I'm like, I don't feel rich. (laughs) I I feel hungry. And it's like, I laugh now, but like we all had from age of 11, I paid for all my own clothes. And so all the kids and my older brother at 16 was buying our groceries with the paper roots. It was serious. And, you know, of course you think parents never happened to me. So we have this amazing success with the restaurant, you know, the food shop doesn't work out. I mean, that didn't destroy us, but, you know, I think there's those of us who really love and crave freedom. And I think because I was, honestly, I was like humiliated in school. Like it was a horrible, horrible time for me. And I was so alone and isolated. So I think from that, I never fit in corporations. Like I was always like this weird person on the side. I'm pretty sure I'm not hireable because (laughs) I don't think I have, you know, the politics. And I know this, right? Because I have a master's in leadership and we're actually trained in politics. And I used to develop managers for a living. And I used to think, oh, gosh, the nonsense you have to go in. And something I love about entrepreneurs is that they dream it and they create it. And there's something about that for me that's so exciting, right? There's those people who live in a dream world and there's those who live in reality. And then there's those who turn one into the other, that quote. And I feel that that's what entrepreneurs do, right? They have ideas and then they go off and create them. And in my mind, they're leaders because they're willing to act alone and leaders are willing to act alone. I'm inspired inspired, if we want to make a better world, entrepreneurs are a huge way on how we're going to get there. Yeah. Agreed. The innovation and just like dreaming and thinking outside the box are very, very necessary things to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Honestly. Yep. Because that's what entrepreneurship is. Business is like, I solve problems, right? One of the big things, like when people come to me in business, what we figure out is what problem do you solve? right? And why are you good at solving it? I mean, that's literally everything about business is solving problems. And so it's either solving problems or like it's, it's meeting a need or fulfilling a desire. So if we have all these people running around solving problems and getting out of corporate mess, that to me sometimes really takes the individuality out of people, whereas entrepreneurship puts it back in. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I felt more alive in the past six months than I have probably my entire corporate career. 
honestly, <laughs> which is like, great. There's a silver lining in it, but you know, so what's a big mistake that newer aspiring entrepreneurs make? Like I have my own stuff that I've done that I don't want to do again or want anyone else to, but I'm sure you've seen your full circle of things that people have done that they should not do. Like what is the order of operations in which someone should start a business? So yeah, that's, I mean, my book, It's Go Time is definitely about that, right? It's get on the right track and then speed up on that track. That's pretty much what the book is about. Pick the right projects for the right time and then understand leadership toolkit and high performance skills so that you execute quickly. But the biggest mistake I see is that people don't want to start at the beginning. They really don't. Can we have some fun? Just a little, just a teeny bit. Let's do it. Yeah. Like they start with podcasts. Oh, girl, fucking shade. No, it's okay, go. (laughs) Don't hate me. (laughs) Because that's not a business play, is it? That's true. No, I mean, part of it was like marketing, essentially. It was just a marketing tactic. But yeah, when I started it, it was just basically for fun. And it was kind of going to be like, where is this take me? And now I'm in the place of like, now you still have to start a business. Okay, and so that's what I want to help people understand is like start a podcast for fun for exploring your desires and dreams. That's awesome, right? But a lot of people are out there working on getting like social media and starting groups and that's great. And it's not the first step of a business. So what is the first step? The first step of a business is actually figure out what problem you solve and who you're going to solve it for and will they pay you for it? And is that the right track for you? Like, will you find yourself? Because I've helped people create a lot of money and then they get, you know, 10 years down the road and they're like, but I'm not happy, right? And the problem is a lot of people go, well, who cares if I have a lot of money? It's like, well, guess what? You're going to split that money with the divorce that you have and and it's not going to be as much as you think. It's going to disappear because you're going to have constructed this life that's not right for you. And so as you re-ravel that, you're going to lose a lot of that money. And I've seen it happen to so many people who've been successful. So you really want to sort of find something that you're passionate about. And so from that point of view, starting a podcast is amazing because it's allowed you to explore your passions, which I think is a really smart idea. But as long as you know that you're doing it for that, right? And then you figure out your passion and you go, I like solving this problem for people. Oh, and lo and behold, I'm good at solving this problem for people. And even better, they pay me for it and wait for it. The best thing is I like them. Because not only do you have to like what you're doing, but you have to like the people you're doing it for. Oh yeah. There are plenty of people that I've spoken to in one-on-one sessions who I'm like, oh my God, this person could be like my sister. She's like, I, we get along so well and I help her. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. And then there are other people who are like, I never want to talk to you ever again. No shade. Like you're a great human being, but we are not compatible. Yeah. And back when I was consulting... I had some clients who were amazing, incredible, and inspiring. And then I had other clients who were like, I think you're not a good person. You know, there was one guy I was helping. He had this team. And then I got in and he sort of said certain things to me to get me to take the contract, which turned out not to be true. And so I learned to get better at due diligence at the beginning. He was literally paying because he had a drunk driving charge. Okay, So he lost his license, but he hired a limousine to take him everywhere. He was the owner. I was working with his team. They were like working with computers from, I don't know, the 80s or the 70s. No. I never said, I was like, oh, oh my God. Museum. And then the, the <laughs> team was like so depressed. They did not have the equipment to do the job. And I'm like, 
can you even get these serviced? And the team is like, no, you know, <laughs> and he's riding around. He has a limo. That's and he's so like ridiculous. taking some stuff and he's like taking a limo four hours a day to another city. Oh and I'm my like, God, no. You know no. what? You're disgusting. And so you want people, oh, and he's paying people like nothing, you know, and his limo bill is like more than some, most of the salaries in there. That's crazy. I'm just like, that's insulting. Yeah. And I say that and he was like really a dramatic, I mean, I can't even, but I worked with other horrible people. Like <laughs> I found another guy, he like offered me part of his business and I can't work for part of your, he literally had some people, he had like a bakery thing and he had multiple units, blah, blah, blah. It's one of those like home baked foods, but it was really created in this manufacturing thing and they finished it in these home baked looking things. He had, you know, women and men actually working for him for like 20 years, still making minimum wage. I was like, wow, ugh, like that is really gross, gross. And he was so rich. So, so the first step of a business is you got to figure out the idea and you've got to figure out what problem you solve and the person you do it for that you can make money doing it. It's quite a bit um, that you can make money doing it and that you like them and you like the thing because you're going to go through so much stuff in business. That can't be a problem. You can't not like your clients. You can't not like who you serve. You've got to like them because that's the only thing that'll keep you going some days when it's really hard, right? So yeah, I call yeah. that, you know, I have the best, right? The best I was model. just going to ask, how does the best model fall in with this? So I'll just share the best model quickly because I think that it will help people understand B-E-S-T, the best model. So rather than, you know, the best model, like the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's both, but yeah. Well, it's both, you know, so it's kind of convenient that it worked out that way. So B is begin with an idea you believe in. So to start a business, you know, to really have good results in business, you know, you really need to be able to say you're going to stick with it for three to five years, and then you can eventually automate that income. But until you do it's not a good idea to be like changing, 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 because you'll never take something kind of far enough. You'll never get to payday. You know, there's a quote from Napoleon Hill, right? The, he stopped, she stopped three feet before gold. So you want to begin with something you believe in and you can take the distance. And that's actually all that sort of sorting out. What do you want to do? What's in your heart? What problem do you want to solve? That's in that step. Then there's E, experiment to validate. Once you have a pretty good idea, like, yeah, I'm like, like next to sure it's this, right? Begin with an idea you believe in. Then you experiment to validate. That's when you start going, like, for example, a really good example is my brother. I've helped him build a business. He couldn't continue to be a chef after COVID. It just, just wasn't viable. And he's been sort of like, do I help? Here's like, I just want your listeners to understand the nuances that make a difference. So an experiment to validate, he's been like, should I help really high-end foodie geeky cooks learn how to cook even better? Because he's like a world-class chef. He's amazing. Or, you know, should I help like people who are bored like me and tired in the kitchen, you know, get reinvigorated again? Or should I help parents sneak healthy food into their kids? Or, right? So do you see these nuances? actually really make a difference in terms of his culinary coaching business. So he went through all of those. He was like, I have this kid who I sneak healthy food into him. So I think I'll do that. So he tried that and experiment to validate. And then he was like, 
Mm, yeah. And then, but mostly those people are getting their information off YouTube. So there wasn't enough of a market there. So then I was talking to him and I was like, well, I'm so bored in my kitchen. Help reinvigorate me. So he's trying to be a nice brother. He's like, okay, so I'll try to go for people like you. You know what? They were just too a little burnt out. So he's recently started a culinary coaching club, the Quizzical Cooks Club. And it turns out those are his perfect people. They're adult men who are actual culinary geeks who are getting next level training that they would never have access to anywhere else because my brother was a world-class chef. So it looks like he's found his niche is actually like the major, major foodie who's like outgrown everything that they can find. So that took him about eight months. That's experiment to validate. That is a long, frustrating phase. Yeah, I did that the past eight months. Right. So it's a frustrating phase because you're like, oh, this doesn't, you know, and you make money during that phase. That's a nice thing. You're trying stuff out. You're selling stuff. You're making some money. You know, you're at the end of that phase when you're like, okay, people like this. I like it. I like them. They're paying me. Yay. Check, check, check. And then you've got some testimonials and case studies and woohoo, you move on to the S step of best, which is you systemize your sales. Now, a lot of people think sales is like, I have this, you have that, and you know, you give me money. And a lot of people mistakenly think the sale's over when the money exchanges. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the sale is over when the goods go back, right? So I want this, you want that. It's when the money is exchanged for the goods or services. That's when a sale is complete, right? So if I get my hair cut, the sale's not complete when I paid for it. It's complete when I've both paid for it and the hair's done. So that matters because uh, that's the next step. And it's actually takes most people around another six to eight months to go through systemize your sales. That's where you start thinking about websites. That's where you start thinking about, oh, funnels, you know, like the back end stuff, like all those automated processes and things to make it more fluid and right. The automated thing is set up with the email and the login and like all of it. All of that, right? So that's where, yeah, exactly. So now you're like, okay, let's make this a nice experience for the clients. Okay, let's make it easy for people to give us money. Like, so they come to the website and they're like, oh, I see you have a website. And then, oh, they click this button. And then they're like, oh, they get this free thing. And then they learn about you. And and all of that is systemizing sales. So are they going to buy from a sales page? Are they going to get on a phone call? Are they going to go up to a cashier? You know, do you have a hot dog stand? Why, like, do where are you going to keep the money? What's your float going to be every day? Like, it doesn't really matter what the business is. You know, I'm helping expertise businesses now, but there's got to be automated processes or it doesn't make a lot of sense to get to the next phase. And this is the part that people struggle with, Gabby, because they want to get to the next phase so badly, they'll skip the S step, okay? The T step of best is tell everyone, okay? That's where you're like, woot, woot, going and like getting, Gabby, let me on your podcast. I want to talk about my business. That step is really where you're doing public relations, podcasts, writing articles, blogs, social media, and so many people try to start there. The reason it has to go in that order is because websites, and if anyone here listening, you know, you, I'm sure you know someone, or maybe you even tried it, you've created a website, it will take you a thousand bucks to 5,000 bucks. And if you're unlucky, even more and months of your time. And then you'll realize that nobody bought a thing. The reason websites don't work is because websites don't work until you have the actual words out of your client's mouth. Like how I write my websites is when I talk to people before they work with me, I literally write down what they say. And when I talk to people after they work with me, I write down what they say. And then it's other people's words. It's not mine. That's so smart. But again, that's like 
like, I know when people talk like, oh, you need to speak to your client avatar, right? You need to talk to your demographics and their messaging. If they're telling you exactly what the problem is, and then they tell you the solution at the end, you basically can use that versus trying to reinvent the wheel. That is so freaking smart. I did not even think about doing that. It's so easy. It's so easy. <laughs> it's so funny. They've got literally write your copy for you. Yeah, that's fine. They write it for you and don't try to outsmart. I was actually working with a client fancy, fancy client today. I, I I can't say it is actually a very fancy client, but I can't say who it is because I can't throw them under the bus. But he was writing like something. And even though all my training says this has to be the words, and this is exactly what to say here, here, and here in a sales form. And then I looked at it and it's like, that sounds like something you would say, not sound like something your clients would say. And he was like, that's true. And I'm like, and so does that. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, stop that. And so that's really what happens in systemized sales. So what makes some, what makes you like, if you're listening to this, if you're thinking of your business, what will make you irresistible to buy from is to use your client's words of when, before they started working with you and after, and then to just to put those on your website. And then you tell everyone, here's why this is so important. Cause so many people go out and spend all this time on social media. Like Gabby, do you spend a lot of time on your podcast? Probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it depends, right? Like at this point, everything's automated. So it's not so bad. It's like for the recording really. And everything else is like already done. Amazing. Okay. And was that the way at the beginning? Probably no. Hell no. Absolutely not. I spent so many hours on messaging and ever and audio editing and mulling over people to be on it. And like, it was a lot. Yeah. So you, good for you, by the way, that's amazing. Like, and so that actually, I'm just going to say to everyone listening, cause I know you already know that Gabby's amazing, but Gabby just told me she's amazing because a lot of people don't ever get to that systemized place. So I just oh, want to say, thank you. Awesome. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know how much I love this. So I'm clearly like the TLC is put into it and it shows. Yeah. The so TLC, I've been told. But also the the brain. It's like the heart and the brain meeting. And that's actually where beautiful businesses happen is where your heart and your brain meet, I think. But I kind of describe it as like best, right? If you thought of Disneyland, begin with an idea you believe in, there's going to be a place, there's going to be rides, there's going to be whatever, it's going to be fun for the family. Yay. Okay. So experiment and validate. Let's create a ride and let's see if families and kids both like it. Okay. Look at, they like it. That's market research. S, systemized sales. So we would create concession stands and and we would create tellers, right? And we would have ways of taking money. And this is what so many people forget. They don't have like a funnel or a website or whatever, ways of guiding people to spend money with you to make it easy. And then T, and then you'd tell all the tour operators, well, get people to go there, right? A big mistake people make is they don't do that S step. They don't have proper funnels and systems to take money. So they run around on social media saying, I can help and I can help and I can help. But you go to their website and you can't even figure out how to do business with them. That's like going to a store and there's no cash register. And you're like, can I buy this? And people are looking at you like, well, but we don't have a cash register. And you're like, but I really like this sweater. Like, and they're like, yeah, sorry. You know, (laughs) so... And people don't realize that an online business, if you don't have a clear path, a website, you can think of like a store, okay, like a big department store and a funnel, you can think of like a cash register. So you really sort of, if you only had one, you'd want a cash register. I'd rather have a cash. You really need a funnel, but to look really serious, you need both, right? A store and a cash register makes you look more legit. And that's really what people aren't understanding is that then when you go off and do your social media, your podcast, your PR, your advertising, then you're pointing them to an automated system, like automated processes that you can manage because otherwise you'll drown. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Especially when things started going viral for me, which was incredible. I had systems in place, but I realized very quickly, a lot of them are broken. Missing pieces, not answering questions effectively, not using the right messaging. Like people were booking sessions with me for so many different reasons. Like one wanted to know how to update his resume to get his dream job. And I was like, do you know anything about what I do? Like corporate quitter has nothing to do with getting a job. It's about doing your own thing. Like, so it was like, it was a great experience, but it was like, holy crap, I need to fix this. Like now, So now it's a little better, but it's a process. So I'm going to give you a compliment because what a lot of people don't understand, you know, you've probably heard of innovation or whatever. I'm really geeky and I come to what I do from my field experience, but then eventually I really went back and I looked at the academics of it. And I've actually talked to some of the people who are the leaders in innovation. And I will never forget one of the top kind of thinkers in this area said to me, you know, Jill, a lot of people think that iteration is all about creativity and constant change. He's like, but you realize you have to have a system to fix the system. So I'm still going to compliment you because you had the systems and realized there was opportunities to improve them. And that's actually the only way. Thank you. Yeah. It's a process. You got to have a baseline. Yeah. True. But so speaking on like all these different things of right, like experimentation and having an idea and all this stuff, a lot of reason that people don't even try entrepreneurship is right. Okay. It's challenging. But the most thing is any opposition that I've had or anyone's giving any type of like, I can't do this. The reason hundred percent is always like, well, I don't have the stability and security. Basically a new venture would have as my nine to five would have. So like how to like have the money come in for business? How can someone ensure that when they leave their quote unquote cushy job, that they can find stability and security in their new business venture? Okay. Get to the S step, get to the ST step. So what I actually suggest, and and I talk about this in my book, it's go time. I actually, I'm very cautious. So I don't know if your listeners ever remember something that used to be a book for us older folks called uh, The Wealthy Barber. But I think the concept is sort of self-explanatory. It's how anyone can become a millionaire. There's also like the millionaire next door and trainings like that. And the idea is a slow and steady route rather than, you know, trying like, I need to be an influencer. It's like, sure. And that might happen and you still might not make money. There's this like steady path that you can take to success. So how you do that, I like to use the analogy of like, okay, building a house. If you wanted to build your dream house and you wanted to do it on a plot of land, you probably wouldn't go buy a plot of land and then go jump on it and live there. You'd feel like, I'd like plumbing, you know, I'd like electricity, you know, I'd like rooms. And so what you would do is you'd get the plot of land and then you'd plan it and you'd design it. And then you'd get, you know, architects and structural engineers and designers and, and contractors. And eventually there'd be like a frame there. And eventually there'd be rooms and drywall. You wouldn't necessarily get it to the point where hell it's curtains and furniture, but you'd probably move in at the point where there was a roof over your head and like running water. You'd be like, I don't care. I'm going to just love, I'm going to sit on boxes. And building a business is a lot the same way. I don't want someone to build a business from a place of desperation. Yeah. No. Commission breath is a thing. (laughs) It's a thing. I don't know that line and I love it. Oh my God. I just (laughs) found it out like two weeks ago. Someone said it to me and I was like, oh my God, it is so true. Like when someone is so, they need the sales so bad, you want to be as far away from that person as possible. It doesn't feel gross. 
Yeah. So I actually don't want people, I like to say, let the bandaid fall off, right? So yeah, I might not want you to jump into entrepreneurship right away because I want you to be cautious, right? Like my family, we lost our family home. We had things get about as bad as they could from entrepreneurship. So there are risks in entrepreneurship. That said, if you come up with an idea and a niche and you test and you validate it and you systemize your sales, at that point, you're going to realize your success is inevitable. All you have to do is now the comment from Shark Tank, right? Pour gasoline on it. That's like advertising, podcast marketing, because you have these systems to grow. And I think there is this point where you realize a lot of people think it's like a steady climb. It's not. So I'm Canadian. So I'm going to use the hockey stick analogy. The bottom of the hockey stick, it's like this slow slope. And it's like, uh, 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 uh. And then all of a sudden there's an inflection point and you shoot up. And so a lot of people are like, I want to double my sales every year. But actually, usually what happens is it's like, mm, I inch above my sales or sometimes I go a little down and then I get all my systems running and then I go five times or 10 times in one year. And so a lot of people aren't realizing that there's these inflection points in business. So, I mean, just to make it super clear, keep your job, <laughs> keep your day job. Don't get, what did you call it? Commission breath, because that actually scares away people. And then you're going to feel down on yourself because you'll have up and down income. If you follow a really good model, like the best one, you'll have up and down income possibly for like two years until you can get yourself to like steady, like ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. And that's when I think you should probably leave your day job. I don't want people being entrepreneurs in desperation. I'm with other people who will guide you that way. I'm like a hard no, because then what you think is the problem is you. And then you get down on yourself. And so it's not even just the commission breath. It gets worse. Now you have like an existential crisis about not being a good human being. And I don't, not on my watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. How can someone determine if entrepreneurship is the right path in general? How do they make a decision like that? I know there's like, right. You had said, do things like without taking risk and do it methodically and take your time. But like, how do you even know if it's even something you should pursue in the first place? The simple answer probably is if it keeps whispering at you, it probably is for you. So if it's been a bug in your brain and it's like, I really want to do this, do it. And I used to develop managers for a living, like in my consulting work. And I used to say, like, if the prospect of getting a truckload of shit every day on your desk does not appeal to you and then thinking, I'm going to figure out how to turn that into daisies, I don't know if it's right for you. I still, things are going really well in my business and I still regularly have things that would crush many people. And I think that if you're someone who is not solution oriented or they don't take initiative. Yeah. I think if you're not someone who's solution oriented, if you don't take initiative, if you don't almost thrive in the figuring it out, I think it might be too much. Like I never want to say it's going to be too much, but I think you would take a slower path and do it as a side hustle and really be careful with it. Like just really be careful. And then there's those of us, like we thrive, like it's like something happens and like I've had when she hits the fan and we're like, we got to go. Like, I'm like, let's do it. I like, can't even like, I'm like, yeah, let's do it in two weeks. And like, no, it takes a year. I'm like, no, we're going to do it in two weeks. Like, let's do it. Let's go. And then my team is not even afraid of me. They're fascinated. They're like, (laughs) I'm just like, 
I go into the Zen and I'm like, oh, we're going to manufacture something awesome out of this. All right. Okay. So how did we turn this into something incredible? Right. And so then it's like, you know, the thinking caps on and, and because I see people who have like the, you know, the tiniest thing go wrong and they're in depression for a week. And it's like, I get it. I get it. But those things are going to go wrong in entrepreneurship. And so I think if you are really sensitive, take a very slow, cautious route, keep your job and definitely do it on the side. And then if you're a little bit more like me and maybe Gabby, then you're, you have a higher risk tolerance. I still think you should be cautious. But if it keeps whispering at you, it might be for you. Like I have also just found globally when something keeps like coming back as an idea, it, there's probably like, you should look. And if you've never thought of it, I really hope you don't listen to this podcast. And all of a sudden, I, you know how you have those webinars. The last one I created was like, and so if I have talked you out of entrepreneurship today, yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how it is too on the internet. Everyone's like, you can be an entrepreneur. Like you can do it too. And like, that's great. It's inspiring, but also like some people make really fucking bad decisions because someone on the internet persuaded them or hit an emotional cord when maybe it wasn't the right time or fit or whatever, which is right. It's not our problem, but it's, yeah. Yeah, no, and I lean towards talking people out of it, but then there's just those of us like me who, you know, we're unhirable. (laughs) (laughs) You're funny. (laughs) Well, so um, all business things aside, one thing I did want to touch on is like, you had mentioned something in our call when we first spoke and I was like, oh my God, I need to ask her more about this was your altering time states and quantum time. Like, please tell me what the fuck this means. I need to know. <laughs> I, I have this thing where I guess I get really geeked out about goals, right? Like I wanted to figure out how to reverse engineer entrepreneurship, you know, after all the goals, and I did, and those are the hot goals, but this is like sort of the next thing. So now I'm sort of like, every time you achieve a goal, you want to kind of figure out the other. And so I'm really happy with where a lot of things are in my life. So then I started getting to these like esoteric goals. So there's a guy, Gay Hendricks, who wrote The Big Leap. And then in it, he talks about time we can make time. And this is kind of the first time I'm sure I've seen it before in this book. It talks about, you know, you get stuck at your sort of like, I call them subconscious blocks and beliefs. And that's the work that I do. Other people call it different things, but you basically get stuck at a certain level in your life and you have to figure out what that block is to get past it. So I really like his book and he wants people working in their zone of genius, which is hard for people who haven't figured out their zone of genius. And so I was figuring that out. And then he just said, yeah, and you can make time. A lot of times you say, we don't have time. We don't have time. But he said, you can just make it. And he doesn't really go into that book. And I thought, huh. And then right around the same time I was reading Joe Dispenza and Joe Dispenza starts talking about like quantum time and how he can go back. And, and then I remembered Eckhart Tolle saying, you know, Eckhart Tolle was like, One day, like, cause you know, I think his background was like, he was a bum. Right. And then one day he was like, I knew I was going to write a book. I woke up one day and knew I was going to write a book. I knew it had already happened, but I was going to write a book that helps millions of people. And it was this concept of thinking that all time has already happened and we just haven't unfolded it yet. Guys, I'm going kind of like, no, I love this. It's almost like the idea of like, some people talk about jumping timelines. Like you're in like one timeline for like, this is the career I'm going to happen. Like this is all this stuff. And then you jump timelines to shift everything. And because of that, your entire trajectory changes from the original timeline. Of course. Right. And so all time has already happened. So if all time has already happened, and then we just have to unfold that timeline. And then one of my clients, so some people with extraordinary skills come to work with me because 
I'm really good at positioning people. So one of my talents, right, is people need to be differentiated and not kind of seem or sound like everybody else. And people who are very talented have a hard time going to cookie cutter programs for that because they can't see extraordinary and I can see extraordinary. So I'm now working with an extraordinary person who actually can see in quantum time and a court and her schedule is just like filled for a long time. So she can see past, present, and future now. And she sees it as like data maps. That's so interesting. Wild. It's taken me so long to understand her. So I work with her privately because she's so uh, it's like, uh, like I've yeah, right. had even hundreds of business owners. Well, she sees things as strings of numbers. And so I'm just like, OMG. Yeah. So that's, oh, and, and then I meet this woman and she, uh, spends a lot of time with aboriginals. And I mentioned these ideas to her and she's like, oh yeah, I was with a chief once and he bent time. So we jumped forward. So I'm just really fascinated by time a lot of people say time is just a construct that we use yep. in this dimension because we can't understand a place without time. So I, I don't understand this. You realize Neither that, do right? I, but I like oh, the okay. idea. No, no, no. I, you know what it is? Because I remember I read this book called Einstein's Dreams or something. It's a very small book. It's like 30 pages or something like that. And it's really interesting because it does question the idea of time in very easy like wording. And for me, like, and this is such a stupid thing, but like I, so I used to live in Brooklyn. I was in the boroughs for forever, right? So every morning I was catching the subway to get to work. And sometimes I would just miss the train, right? I would like get there and the train goes away. And sometimes I just make it where I like literally do the turnstile, right? I like swept my card and the train arrives like literally 30 seconds later. It's like one or the other. So then I started to think, okay, is it my thoughts that are changing my arriving to the station early or late? Which sounds really fucking weird, right? But when you think about time, they compare it to a rubber band. It'll either expand or contrast, just like the idea that when you're bored, time is slow. And when you're having fun, time is fast. Like it's very interesting. I don't understand it, but it is cool to like mess with it a little bit and see how you can like operate outside of it. Were you able to? I mean, I started picking up on things. Like I noticed when I get like really fast, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm in my head. I hit every single light. I missed the train. I missed the fucking boat. I missed all of those things. I missed the flight. But if I'm not even looking at my watch, I don't acknowledge time. I'm just like present. I'm enjoying the actual, the subway ride, the trek to the airport, whatever it is, or me getting on a call to do something that I think I'm going to be late on. More often than not, I'm actually on time, if not early. Like it's bizarre. Okay, so- Sometimes like, I don't know if I'll have a group thing or whatever. And I'll think, oh, I have like X number of minutes. I'll be like, I need more time. So I'll just imagine my, like, I've just been starting to play with this. I really don't understand it, but I do try to imagine myself gaining. Gay Hendricks describes how to do this. You just imagine yourself having this time and like five minutes will appear. You'll look at the clock and you'll be like, I just got all this stuff done. And it's the same time or only one minute has passed. So I've been doing that a lot when I have prep for work to do. And like, let's say I feel like I have three hours of prep, but I only have one hour to do it in. So I try to imagine like all that three hours of prep happening. Again, I teach like the neuroscience and what was going on in the brain and, and why we create some of our world's from that point of view, I do feel that what we're talking about now goes beyond the brain. I feel like what I do kind of deploying the neuroscience part of it and the beliefs part of it fits within a bigger picture that is a mystery, an exciting mystery for me. And I'm currently doing activities to sort of see if I think a certain way, can I 
something as simple as putting makeup on. Sorry, guys who are listening. <laughs> something as simple as putting makeup on going, ah, like I have only so many minutes and I got to, you know, slap the stuff on my face to get wherever. And I've been able to create time there, which has shocked me. But I really, yeah, again, I don't understand it. It's just sort of something I'm having fun with. Yeah, but that's okay though. I feel like that gives you power over your schedule and it also gives you power back to your day. And like, even if it is woo-woo, even if it doesn't make sense, who cares? Like if you're enjoying it, like I'm going to read this book now that you said that because I, this shit, I love it. I think it's fun to just question things. It's neat. And Joe Dispenza too. And he, and then there's even like one of the top Ted talks of all time was about how things aren't really even here and neuroscientists are proving this right. And science, you know, this stuff is everywhere. And the only reason that we wouldn't look at it is because it's not what we're used to or how we were raised. So I'm just, I'm cool. Like I have a partner. He's like very like rigid or whatever, but I just have fun. And you know what? And that's the thing It's playful for me. It's just, it's playful. And like, this is kind of a way of thinking that only leads to good and positivity. Yeah. It's not harmful or anything. It's just something different. Plus it's always good to expand the brain and question things. So yeah, I'm glad we touched on it, but you know, of all that and all the quantum leaping and all that, if you could give younger Jill advice, what would that be? Love this question. The thing is, younger Jill wouldn't listen to me. So I've been asked this question and the simple answer is forgiveness. Forgive everyone. I never heard that as a piece of advice. Whenever I do these shows, I always ask people and they're surprisingly very, very different, but I have not gotten that one yet. I like it. It's different. Yeah. I mean, I had a mentally ill father and he was abusive and I had angst around that. What I have discovered for, oh, that's maybe advice for entrepreneurs as well, is that you actually will never reach your pinnacle of success if you have an ounce of angst towards anyone. Yeah. So the only, you know, really achieving like financial and personal satisfaction, really that place of fulfillment in your heart and peace, you can't, you can't even be mad at people in traffic. Like just like find peace with everyone. But what I would give advice, because I think my younger me would listen, is uh, read and study The Course in Miracles. Because I think younger me would have been fascinated that there was a course in miracles and younger me would have been like, that's interesting. And so younger me would have gotten on the road to forgiveness sooner. I never heard of that, but I really, really like the idea of forgiveness, right? It's so important to be empathetic in general as a human being, let alone business owner. But I like that. I have a lot to consider in terms of forgiveness, but no, actually I shouldn't say that. I'm a pretty forgiving person. But yes, like as things get crazy. Yeah, deep, deep forgiveness. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was awesome. I think you covered a wide variety of topics, which are really great. Can you tell everyone where they can find you or get in contact or even join Ignite with me? Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay. Well, definitely my website is a place to start, jillmccabe.com. And we have a special gift for corporate quitter visitors. You can just do a forward slash corporate quitter and get a free copy of my book. So Jill McCabe and it's McCabe with one C. Uh, yeah, definitely. If you come in, you can also just go to my website and just apply. And that would give you an opportunity to talk to a team member. Make sure you tell us that you heard or you met me or got to know me on the corporate quitter and you know, Gabby, uh, and you want to join Ignite with her because then, you know, we'll just, we'll just know where you came from. We'll take good care of you more. too. Take very good care <laughs> of you. Yeah. Give you that much more love. 
we love to work with you if you're if you're seriously thinking of entrepreneurship and you like the idea of the slow, steady kind of strategic route. Yeah, thank you so much. And again, uh, I will probably keep all of you guys updated as my progress with Ignite goes forward. So you guys can check me out on Instagram and TikTok to see the updates as well as go to the corporatequitter.com website to see more about Jill and kind of learn more about what we're doing. So thank you again for being on. This was really awesome. It's amazing. Thank you so much, Gabby. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Make sure to check out corporatequitter.com for extended content and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the 9 to 5, follow our host Gabby on Instagram or TikTok at SheLikesToGab. 